0: Hello, and welcome to the Strength to Be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright, Mark Antony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host, Welcome back to Shant to be Human. This is Mark Anthony Rossi, your host and producer of this show. You know, it's a global show, not just a show uh, uh, for or about America. So please don't forget that. I get sometimes emails and folks, uh, they don't always really understand that. They're like, I don't really get that. But anybody who's a writer are going to with the same problems. It doesn't matter where you're from. Now, maybe I won't understand things in your language and that has to get translated over to English because those are some of my shortcomings, but it doesn't mean you're not going to have the same issues. So it really is a global show in that way. So my audience uh, who continues to join us from different parts of the world. I'm I'm so excited. Finally, I added South Africa uh, to the mix, where we're getting more people now from South Africa to listen. And I'm always excited about that. There's a real big English component in that country. So it really, uh, really does help the show in that way. But also, to keep in mind, really, that podcasting, because it goes through the internet, it really does allow us to be a a global show. And because of that, and because of the nature of podcasting in the sense that you don't have to listen to it, you know, at the moment you receive the link, you can always save it for later and, and do it at your own spare time, do it on the bus, in the car, when you're working out, in the gym, in between classes. I mean, I, I'm always amazed at how many people listen to the show in so many different ways on their phone, on their computer, you know, in the car. I mean, there's so many different ways you could do that, and it makes a, I, I feel the show to be that much more tangible for the audience, and also mobile for a world that you know is continually moving and and, and striving and, and and growing, and of course, in in, in many instances, changing. We try to. Change with it as as much as possible but you know still keeping our values and still keeping our our beliefs and and of course our objectives about art and and writing you know in general now this show right here is going to be episode uh, 133 right, and we are calling it uh, grounding and the role of gravity in writing I know it sounds uh, unusual and we'll talk about that part of the the wording and the title "Grounding" has really to do with us becoming more grounded as people in the world and how we observe, or even how we interact with things that are either good or bad in our lives or or in the world, even. And of course, gravity is, you know, the strength of those things. And what I found in writing, especially as the editor of uh, *Aerial* Charlotte International Literary Journal. Okay, at aerialchart.com, dot com, is this? I receive writing that more times than not, when it seems to be focusing on a a deeper topic or a topic of some dark tone or some type of a negativity, some kind of trauma, you know, something uh, terrible that has happened. The writer seems to be ultra focused. It seems to be. A writing that doesn't have problems with its flow, that seems to have a, a strong title, where the word usage as well as selections are right on the money. It, everything is 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 as perfect as it can be from what they're trying to put out. Almost like they were reworking it until it got to what they were feeling or what they wanted to convey, which is great. You're like, well, what the heck are you talking about, Mark? That sounds wonderful. Well, it is wonderful. The problem here is. When you put that situation in contrast with the poems that I might receive in that batch that are positive, so to speak, or even other ones I get from other writers that are positive, so to speak, it suddenly, it lacks that kind of what I call gravity. It lacks clarity, it lacks depth, it lacks any kind of real emotion, almost like if you're happy and giddy about something wonderful, you, you have to you have to sound like you're in Disney World, or you got to sound like you have a half a brain, or you, you're so you're so damn giddy uh, that you just lost control of what you're trying to do. Writing is still about that kind of control. It's still about that kind of discipline. It's still about coordinating all those different elements to put together something and in, a, in a moment's notice when someone reads it. They, they get right away. Yes, I got what they're saying. Yes, I got that connection. Damn, that girl broke your heart. Damn, I'm really sorry about your grandmother dying. Wow, that's messed up about your uncle uh, being detained illegally in, in, a, in, a, in a country that isn't like a, you know, where you're from. They get that. But it's very hard, in my opinion, to not only publish the more positive works, but I literally have to have a conversation with the writer about what the heck just happened. How did you go from this fantastic poem of grit and grime and gravity? And then you give me this thing. It looks like uh, you you, you wiped your butt on it from a, a brochure from Disneyland from four years ago. Okay? I mean, really. It's goofy. It's giddy. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, it often relies on... On cliche words and cliche terms, and holy moly! I mean, you gotta be kidding me. We get a lot of that. I I really don't like to be as much as you guys know. I I, I be direct. I I talk the truth, and if if it riles somebody up the wrong way, oh well. I mean that that's just the way things are. But I'm still a human being. I'm still behind the microphone saying. God, I hate to have to be the bad guy in some of these things. but I mean, it's no different than being a parent in many ways because I feel that as a parent sometimes. I got to break the bad news or I got to do this or I got to do that, take away this, take away that. But if you love what you're doing, this is what's necessary in order to have some order in the house. It's no different as, a, as an editor in many ways. You're kind of like a parent. You got to literally write somebody back. Listen, I don't know where the hell your mind's at, but um, you need to go find it again, because this poem is friggin' horrible. And why is it horrible? Because it doesn't flow right. It doesn't make any sense. How the hell am I supposed to be so uh, enamored with your joy when your joy is all over the damn place? What, you you forget to be an artist because now you're happy? You're turning into Pat Benatar? Anyone understands that reference? Uh, here was a girl that had all kinds of uh, social and, and and emotional problems in her life, and, and and put out some of the best female rock and roll ever. Suddenly she gets married, she becomes happy, and that's the end of her career. I mean, every one of her songs suck after that. Like you got to be kidding me? Can we shut the radio off? That's what I mean. Don't become a writing type penitent. You still need to maintain that gravity. You still need to maintain that grounding. Or you're not gonna have anything decent in writing. You're gonna wonder why people are rejecting you. And unlike me, who will literally tell you that the the uh writers just gonna others are gonna send it back. You'll get the form letter. You know, the usual lie. Yeah, it don't fit my theme. Uh yeah, it um it really uh it's really uh no reflection on your work. Uh, oh crap. I This work sucks. It's definitely a reflection on it. In fact, I don't want to publish it because I don't want it reflected badly on me and my magazine. How's that? That's the truth, though. Why is that when in that same batch you just gave me something fabulous that I will publish, that I will praise, that I'm right back saying yes, yes, and more yes? Well, we're going to talk about that so you have a better understanding of where we're going with this, okay? I believe, and I'm forming an, an opinion here on the show. Uh, I can't really tell you if it's 100% correct, and I certainly can't tell you it, if it has any, any real scientific or emotional or you know intellectual validity. I don't really know, but it's what I feel is going on, okay? I honestly think that one of the reasons uh, lots of writers seem to have problems with Writing things that are more upbeat and positive or maybe even full of romance and love versus you know the heartbreak and the trauma and the, and the negativity and the accidental things and the oh my God, this is a crappy day kind of kind of writing is because I honestly think that there is a worldview that gets cast through generations that that kind of condition us to, and I think in a wrong manner and, and here's the examples of that okay oftentimes. All right. People have some strange and I feel in many ways it's a a naive philosophy, you know, that uh, being good. Or writing about good or even seeing good, it's supposed to be some kind of like laid back position. It's supposed to be some kind of a passive form of things. And this is the problem. Uh, If you want to do something right, especially in writing, okay, you need to bring up that passion, okay? If it's something that's positive and romantic and interesting, where the hell is your passion, hmm? Why is your passion reserved for when someone punched you in the face, when someone shot your grandmother in the head, okay? Someone blew up your house because you're a different culture. Where's that passion on all the good things? So I really think that the worldview for lots of people, particularly writers, is messed up. And I think it screws up the writing because of that. There should not be a situation where I'm literally looking side by side at two poems, two articles, or or two pieces of fiction. One is uh, uh, about something darker, and one is something about something lighter. And there is a dramatic difference in the artistic value, in in the quality, in the currency, if you want to put it. God knows, in the gravity of it all, why, why, why? Well, that's why I think because of that worldview. That, to me, that dumbed-down worldview that says good things are namby-pamby, weaky, sneaky things, and the dark things are powerful. The dark things are incredible. Oh my God, it's edgy. Really? You could write something positive and still be edgy. You know how you do that? Have some damn passion about the same things. Okay. You can't have passion about your girlfriend breaking your heart from 29 years ago, but then you write about your wife like, you know, she's just a doormat, and go get me a beer and and a TV dinner. Because that's what I'm I'm getting when I'm getting that kind of writing. It's boring. It's useless. Don't even send it the hell over. Forget about rewriting it, because you need to rethink it. That's what you need to do. Rethink it. You don't even have to worry about rewriting it because if you don't rethink it, you're just gonna have another form of that same lame crap that you sent me over. And I, I don't wanna I don't want it. It's not useful. So we need to start changing as writers our worldview about good and about bad. Or good and evil, however you want to call that. But the light and the dark, all of that. We need to have the same approach. Because by having the same approach You're going to get some equal quality. You're going to have some real, I feel, intellectual and and artistic parity. I shouldn't have to look at two of these pieces and go, oh, wow, what a difference. No, I should be able to look at both of them and go, damn, that was some powerful stuff right there. He really took it to that bum about this situation. Or, man, he really loves that wife. Wow, his kid is a blessing in his life. Or, holy moly, this person really has some faith in God. And, and I don't mean that you write in such a religious way that it becomes a piece of propaganda or just another religious rant. But I mean that you could do something artistic and be inspirational, even being theological, and people could say, hey, I don't even believe in God, and wow, that kind of moved me. Because that's good writing. That's what it does. Okay? You'll you'll wake up the sleeper. You'll you'll get the atheist to think. Or maybe in some cases you get the religious person to think about hey, what about how you're actually acting versus what you're talking about? There should not be a difference. Uh-huh. You know, there's words for that, and I don't need to bring them on the show. I think you get what I mean. But good writing can do that. Now, I think, and I really see no good reason in what we're talking about in the show here on why the darker stuff, okay, seems to have a stronger vision and it's more artistically layered. But then... The good lighter stuff, it almost seems like it's one-dimensional, like it's cardboard, like it's one step above Hallmark, you know? Again, like it's just an elevated Disney story. What the hell is this? You put your own talents down when you approach stuff that way. You put the rest of the audience to sleep. That's if an editor even lets it get past their gate. I hope to God they don't, but hey. I'm sure sometimes that happens. And, of course, in the end, I don't think you give good a good name when you do that. I really don't. I think in many ways, good has a bad name out there. That's why people constantly quote the cliche, you know, only the good die young. Really? Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. If I do good, I'm going to die young. But if I'm evil and killing and raping and murdering people, you know, I'm going to live forever. How lovely. So, technically kind of cliche, it gives us the wrong wrong idea right away, okay? Second, is this idea that, oh, man, might always seem to wrong, and go over right and blah, 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 blah. There is no might over right. That's just, that's just, again, a bad worldview of looking at things. Dumb, very dumb, okay? Because guess what? If you approach good the same way you approach bad, whether it's in life, in writing, or anything else, it should already have its own might. So there's no might versus right. It's a, it's a clever mind, but if you think about it in terms of its meaning, that's pretty damn horrible. Because that means that whoever has the most guns, whoever has the most, I don't know, physical strength is going to win. No. Because good can have its own might, and it can have its own brain, it can have its own heart. It can have all of its own weapons and still defend itself and still do something decent and noble. It doesn't have to be weak. It doesn't have to be passive on any level, whether it's in life or in writing. But when we allow that to happen, we let those stupid stereotypes continue. It's how it seeps in our brain. It seeps through our culture, sometimes even in, in, the, in TV land. We pick up on things that we shouldn't. We should be stronger than that. And anybody who knows anything about being good and still getting something conquered and done, well, guess what? That takes strength. That takes passion. That takes sometimes sacrifice. For my brothers and sisters in the military, as somebody who's a military veteran, um, sometimes that's the ultimate sacrifice. But let's keep in mind, that good is not essentially weak, but is like anything else we approach in the world. Are we going to approach it with, you know, with our big boy shoes on, our big girl dresses on? We're going to approach it with, uh, as an adult, like this means something, but I understand that I still have to watch my my back. I still have to watch my front. I still have to make sure that, You know, my my integrity is is beyond reproach. Do I have to make sure that my actions uh, match my words? Yeah, you have to do all of that. Because when you don't, that's when bad can seep in. That's really what bad is. Bad ultimately is something that seeps through the cracks that we allow from inconsistency, from... Suddenly losing a love or a passion about something from, from quite frankly, uh, uh, double standards and, and moral laziness and, and sometimes just plain hypocrisy. That's where it goes. That's where it lives at. That's where it festers and that's where it grows into something else. It's the real reason why good is always stronger than evil, always stronger than bad. But what we need to keep in mind is just because it is doesn't mean it always turns out to be that way because it's like anything else. It's how we handle it, how we approach it, how we use it. You know, you can use a knife in a knife fight, but does that really mean you're equal to the other person if you don't know how to use that knife correctly? I mean, you got the first step down you're even up the score, so to speak, but in the end, if you're not using it correctly, or if you decide to not use it at all, even though it's in your hand, not really helpful as you're getting stabbed to death. It's really no difference. Good, it is is its own weapon and it's also its own defense if it's used properly. And I think that for many writers, it's not. So and that turns out in the writing, Another another very good sample on something I came across, you know, quite recently. When I'm telling you about these poems that don't match, and I'm just shocked about all of the good versus the dark and all of that. That happens a lot, and the example I gave you on the show—I mean, it happened not, not that long ago, but well, it was a while ago. I get them, but that is is often. I talk about it a lot. But, you know, now that I'm taking nonfiction, I'm getting some of a similar thing where a person will write something in nonfiction. And maybe it's not literary nonfiction, because even though I have a literary journal, I don't require literary nonfiction. Write what you want. But guess what, folks? It can't be boring. It can't be flat. It can't be lifeless. It can't be just an exercise in the perfect arrangements of words and wonderful grammar. You know what that is? That's not writing. That, that's just soulless words on a, on a paper that eventually gets over to me electronically. And then I'm like, can I cure insomnia with this thing? Can I, can I fall asleep right now maybe? I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm saying enough or falling asleep with this stuff. Not helpful. So keep that in mind. It's really possible that... Somebody can write something, non-fiction or otherwise, that appears to be in every aspect well-written but devoid of any personality, lacking any heart, missing the character that you expect to see. Where is the life in this? And without any of those type of elements, and they don't even have to have all of those elements in there. God Almighty, just have one of them at least. It's flat, and it's lifeless, and you read it and go, okay. Which is not a good sign. If i got to say okay to something, I'm not going with that. You know why? Because any kind of writing, whether it's literary or otherwise, it should be more than okay. You put some time into it, I would hope. You rewrote it. I, God, I expected you to, and it's still. This is this is what it's coming to. No. Our worldview needs to change as writers, not just about whatever the good and versus bad is, but oftentimes, what we're imbuing onto the piece itself. Are we delivering something to the audience that not only just tells them something about our life, but maybe it lets them for a moment. Imagine a piece of it, or feel a piece of it, or just be provoked to think about a piece of it. If we're not doing any of those things, we're not really writers, okay? In in that instance, we're we're just somebody that typed up something. Hey, we can all type, okay? But can we all write? And, And do we all want to write? Because... You can't sit there and be impressed with it if none of us are. And how will you understand that? How will you learn that? Well, it's not hard to find somebody that will do that. I know we all think that, oh, people around us are just not going to be honest. No. You can tell. If you're looking, you'll tell. If you're listening, you'll tell. And say, hey, maybe I need to fix this. Maybe I need to add that. Maybe I need to change that viewpoint or that angle yeah that's right you do because writing whether it's literature or writing whether it's even technical which requires a bit of laity at times and even a bit of snappiness to it so this way the person is not falling asleep when you're talking about a a, you know an it matter or or damn transistor or some kind of relay or some complicated mechanical process Uh, That's not helpful. It it can't be that dry. Because, again, people don't learn from dry. They don't learn from flat. They don't learn from lifeless. They don't learn from soullessness. They get plenty of that stuff already in their life, probably in their damn jobs. So why the hell want to commit any time to that? And why would you want to commit any time to producing that? Change the worldview. Stay more grounded in what makes sense to you. Oftentimes, I remind writers, you don't have to think these deep thoughts like, you know, Leonardo da Vinci in order to be creative. Sometimes you just got to remember some basic common sense. I'm reading this thing over here. Does it sound snappy? Does it sound like it has like a bit of my life in it? Does it have some kind of oomph to it? Some kind of energy to it? Because if it doesn't, I need to go back and fix that. Figure out something I can do about that. Maybe I have to abandon that thing and go with something else. Maybe I got to start from scratch. Those are the conversations that you need to have. It should not be automatically, which I see too often, and they confess writers, yeah, man, that she broke my heart, and, I um, mean, I wrote the hell out of that thing, and then we wrote a couple more times, and you can see the, the real punch and the real power to it. I'm like, yeah, but why does that happen so easily when someone stabbed you in the heart or stabbed you in the back or run you over with the bus or the golf cart or whatever the hell they were using that day? Why? Why can you retain that clarity, those moments, and that emotional urgency? But when you're writing something about your son being born or your daughter going on her first date, or or your wife being such a, a loyal companion, you, you sound like you're going to fall asleep. Are, are those things not equally important? Maybe in some ways, even more important? I don't know about you guys and, and girls, and um, you can think about that to so yourselves, but I would think that the birth of my child would be more important than some, some dopey girl that broke my heart 157 years ago, you know? I don't know. Call me weird, but I would think that would be a lot more, uh, you know, momentous of an occasion. That would be a lot more life-altering. That would be a lot more, I think, full of memories. You know, and I think in many ways we mislead ourselves by having a bad world view, and in some instances we wind up bringing ourselves to places that we shouldn't be in the first place. I mean, how many people? That you know, or maybe even yourself, how many photographs do you have of this of this heartbrokenness, huh? Maybe you have a couple of pictures of the girl that broke your heart. Do you actually have a time picture when she actually did something to you? Hmm. This is the photograph when she told me to go to hell. Click. Here you go. See, see that mark? Nobody has those damn photographs because they don't exist. They're just emotional snapshots. But we got photographs of when them children are born. And a hundred billion afterwards, as they grow up, we got shots of our wife all over the place. hmm, yeah, and when we finally graduated from college, some people were in their fifties and sixties finally getting around to getting it done, happy as it can be, got a ten million photographs of that, and they should so we we need to level not only the artistic playing fields of how we look at the world between good and bad, but we also need to be able to. To bring some more, I think, o- o- emotional intelligence to the situation is not, I think, emotionally intelligent to be worrying about some of the bad things that happen to you and make them more vital than some of the good things that have happened to you. I mean, unless you're just one of those unfortunate people that had so many bad things happen to you that you just don't have enough good things to really bring it up or measure up or something, then maybe I could be wrong. But remember I am a person that believes that you manage by the standard. You don't manage by the exception because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's always going to be an exception to something out there, something I say even. Big deal. You manage by what standard is. And the standard is you're going to have a lot more fun and exciting and momentous times in your life than we're going to have some of the bad times. So why the hell do we let those things overtake us? That's some things that we can't seem to overcome. It's I know probably hard for a lot of people. I don't know if they need therapy. I don't know if they just need to start learning to, to chip away at that bad worldview and come up with something that makes more sense. But when you do, your writing is better informed, and it's more powerful, and it has the gravity that's necessary no matter what tone you're taking, whether on Monday I'm going bright and on Tuesday I'm going dark, because you still have that plan, and you still have that, that grit and you still have all that gravity and you certainly still have all that emotional strength in it so that the good it's not going to at least outweigh the bad when you're writing at least it has it's on the same damn footing that's what grounding is all about being on the same footing We need to keep that in mind otherwise we we wind up sending stuff out that's not really our best work It doesn't really truly represent all we can do uh, artistically, or or, or really doesn't reach all the corners of our talent. And in some cases, when you're sending out those pieces to the one editor, they can tell. I wish more editors would talk about this, even privately. Most of them don't talk about this. It's just some like a like a given knee jerk thing. Yeah, it's another one of those syrupy things. I just I just I read one line and throw it in the garbage. That's what they. That's about all they say about it. I have a lot more to say because I think that we can fix these issues if we start realizing they're there in the first place. I know plenty of writers who I talk to; they don't even notice it. Some of them do. Some of it do it out of out of some kind of a, I don't know, a need or a guilt for balance. Mark man, I write so much of this hard hardcore stuff. May I just need a couple of flowers and nature poems in there, just just to feel like uh, I'm not being, you know, the the dark guy, uh, you know, uh, of of poetry or something. I got that. I I understand that. It makes sense to me why you would feel that way. But feeling that way is not the best thing to do if you're allowing it to simply go back to that not taking good seriously stuff. If you want to do that, you want to achieve some kind of balance, great. Work on those so-called balance homes just as well as you do all the other ones. Find what's inside you that's going to make it stronger. Because when you do, it'll make you stronger. Because I really think that not only do we hurt our writing, I think that we hurt our own humanity. When we let some of the dark stuff of our lives, past, present, or whatever, you know, become such a focal point for our writing, and then we let the good stuff just look like junk, sound like junk, sound like we're not even committed to it, sound like it's insincere. Even though those things might still be in your heart something important, you're not figuring out how to transport them out of there, you know, into, into artistic reality, into something that has more than one dimension. I shouldn't have to read your memories uh, uh, of your family and, and literally be yawning. I don't know. Is this the boring family I'm reading here? I mean, what the heck? Are hmm? oh, you're not feeling it because you're just making this stuff up as you go? Or uh, you just don't take it seriously? Because this is what you're saying to the audience if they were to read something like that. I reject that stuff out of hand. I do. And I'll make sure... Another editor, if not myself, depending on who read it or whatever, will mention this. This falls flat. This doesn't have much life. Why bring this up in the first place if you're not really willing to make it something that is vital and artistic? Something that means something. Otherwise, it's just another boring memory from a million families. We've all seen it and heard it already. What would be the point? Your job. As a writer, and I say this to poets all the time, is you need to be artistic. You need to try to bring some kind of new spin to it. You need to bring some life to it, of course. But in the end, it can't be sounding like everybody else who did something similar. That's why many times travel writing, in general, I don't care what it is, can get very tedious sometimes even boring, mainly because I've read so much of it that what new thing are you going to bring to the table? Do you not realize that plenty of people have traveled around the world? You're not the only one. And do you also realize that there's plenty of people who are reading this that you wrote who haven't traveled at all? So after the the 17,000th episode that you've just put out of where you went and, and what you did, uh, why are they not going to be uh, either bored silly, lost in not understanding what the hell's going on, or just feel they could just catch all this on one of those travel shows on, on on Lifetime or something? You're not helping them, and God knows you're not helping yourself. And we have to tell writers this uh, on on plenty of occasions. It, it's it's when you have to comment and reject on, on the content of something for reasons that people don't always get. I, I get writers, they ask me all the time, really, Mark, I don't understand this. You know, I'm like, really? What do you not understand? Huh? You don't understand that you haven't broken out the stereotype that criticism and rejection is not just about grammar or punctuation or because we think that you wrote the poem or you wrote the piece bad. Cause guess what? I guess in the big picture, you could say if this piece fell flat and it's not full of life, I don't want to publish it because I don't really feel anything new is happening here. I guess in the big picture, you could say I'm rejecting it because it's bad writing, but I have a different viewpoint of it, and I often express that the writing is also very good. I found plenty of pieces that were really good that hit the mark technically, but technically don't do it. In art, and it really doesn't do it. And the average person that doesn't always read literature, if you want to get some other people involved in what you're doing, by your writing, by your books, be interested in this kind of stuff, you got to bring something to them that's going to be understandable, that's something that's going to be relatable, something that's going to help to connect in them. Okay. Throwing in 17,000 Latin words and 400 artistic words and and 3,000 academic words is not helping anybody. They're not impressed. They're a little bit lost. You're kind of pissing them off. This is not the connection that you're going to ever get. Hmm? Other than the connection of, I, I don't really want to watch you read this person's stuff anymore. If they're a regular reader of my uh, journal or Oreo chart, maybe when the next issue comes out, you know, they're going to be like, poof, glad that person isn't there anymore. And maybe six months later when they publish them again, uh, I don't know about that one. I remember the last time it didn't work out too well. I think I'll skip them over. Happens all the time. Because I I try to catch as much as possible, but I only can catch so much. Sometimes you got to take a chance on the writer, and and then, of course, you know, it might not work out. What are you going to do? I only can do so much by instructing, reading, trying to be as honest as I possibly can, but it's up to the writer to understand some of the things I'm talking about and understand some of the things that they can be bringing to that writing that they didn't bring before. Or for some, like I said, unusual reason, uh, when they have a brutal time, a traumatic event, they, they bring in a, a the kitchen sink and, and 300 friggin' weapons. Suddenly, they're, they're ready to rock. But, you know, on the other stuff, the more positive stuff, they're not ready to rock. They're ready to fall asleep and make me fall asleep with them. No. So what is this worldview that we're talking about? Well, I think in many instances, it's a mental attitude that people have that if you're good, you're supposed to be doing something that doesn't resemble something bad. A great example, and I remember this growing up, I used to know a couple of kids that they're like, Mark, you know, I'm not going to fight this guy. I'm just going to ignore him, and he'll go away. Really? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Those black eyes you got, they're going to go away. But this person isn't going away, because you are, in all intents and purposes, to so this person, in their eyes, you're weak. They don't care about what your goodness is. They don't care about you think nonviolence is effective. They don't care about that you're just not impressed with them, That that somehow— You're going to just sit back in the corner one day and reflect, you know, I really shouldn't beat up Philip like that because, you know, it's just not the right thing to do. No, why would they think that? You're just giving them license to kick your ass more. Now, of course, we're talking about the classic bully. And guess what? No different than 10,000 years ago, 10 years ago, 10 minutes ago. Only way you're going to stop the bully Punching him in the nose. And I don't mean that metaphorically either. Hitting him. It's the only thing that lets them have any thoughts in their stupid little heads. Any pause of, Christ, if I do this again to this guy, he might actually pop me in the face again. Right. That's exactly what you want to think. Why would any philosophy, I don't care what it is, religion, politics, whatever, that would say that somehow defending yourself, somehow doing what's necessary is bad. It's is not really being good. You're acting just like him. No, you're not acting like him. You know why you're not acting like him? It's because you're not out there bullying other people. Just simply popping this jerk in the head and getting it done. You're not doing that to anybody else, so therefore you're nothing like that guy. And as long as you stick up for yourself, other people are not going to mess with you either because the message gets out and there you go. You can go on with your life. I I literally and I don't mind mentioning this at all to anyone. I mean, I mentioned it in a book one time and I'll mention it on the show. I literally had to actually throw somebody downstairs at school for them to understand that I'm not going to be played with. And why do they have to do that? Because guess what? When you're good and you care about yourself and you don't want to be harmed by other people who want to be idiotic, you can't, you can't rely on some John Wayne philosophy. Well, we'll just have, we'll have a fair fight in the schoolyard later, and that should take care of everything. Well, No, it won't take care of everything. It's a guy is your age, and he's like a foot and a half taller than you are and weighs like 100 pounds more. Okay? Right, So all the self-defense classes and all the other crap that you could possibly have short of a gun is not going to do it. Once that guy grabs you, that's going to be that. Because he already has 20,000 advantages over you. So when somebody has that many advantages over you, there isn't no such thing as a fair fight. You got to figure out another way to get this done. That's what I did. I sat down with my father and I'm like, Phew. I hate to have to go about this way. He's like, well, what other way are you going to do that then? What, what are you going to demonstrate to him when you have to so-called fair fight and he beats your ass? You think people are going to have some respect? He's certainly not. He's going to be looking for another performance of beating your ass. And you're not going to improve. Because you can't improve over somebody that has so many of those type of advantages. You've got to come up with something else. Yep, throwing him out of flight of stairs, that worked out real well for me. It looked like he was in terror. From some guy who was like some big, big, he looked like he was in terror. Especially when I went down to him and said, next time it's going to be your neck that's going to get broken. not just your friggin' leg. And that was that. Nobody bothered me. He never bothered me. Eventually they, the parents transferred him out of school. And I didn't waste any time like they do today denying this and running away from that and all that other crap. Now, Gav guy was messing with me, I threw him down the stairs. End of story. What are you going to do? You're not going to do anything to me. And they didn't, of course. It might have been a different day and time. Who knows what the kind of crap policies they have. But I don't care. I make sure my children do the same thing. And they have done the same thing. To great effect for them own selves, Where they don't have to worry about billion problems. Because that's how you handle those situations. And they say, as writers... We have a lot of bullies to contend with ourselves, and most of our bullies, they're not out there in the world shouting us about, you know, art is dumb, art is weak, art, if it doesn't make any money, it's it's just useless. Those are not the really bullies that we're really dealing with, because those are just morons. You can actually ignore those people, and nothing's going to happen to you. The bullies we have to deal with is the bullies that are inside of us, the ones that are telling us, you know? Don't be strong. Don't be confrontational. Don't be so-called rude. Don't be impolite. Well, guess what? Sometimes you have to be all those things and still be good because the only way you can tackle things in yourself and in life or even in your writing is to understand what the truth is and and get it out there. And that's just the way it is. You, You can't go around. Denying things forever. And we wonder why writers have writer's block. And we wonder why writers are dealing with all these issues of depression. But if you're not living who you're supposed to be living, and you're just saying depression is hurting me all the time, well, what are you trying to do about that? And I don't mean just some drug or just some therapy class. What are you doing about that yourself? What are you trying to do that's going to help strengthen you and reinforce you? So that you can tackle the own things that you're dealing with, the bully inside sometimes can be your worst enemy, more than anything else on the outside world. Well, how do you tame that person? No different than the bully in the playground. Sometimes you got to pop him in the nose when it seems like it's a, a equal score there. Other times you got to find another way around, making sure that that person understands that bully understands that you mean business. That messing with you has a price. So don't write all this week semi-Disney half Hallmark horse crap, okay? Please, because it's not really your talent. It's not really your style. It's not really saying everything you really want to say about that good event. Put something in there. Put an element of even of darkness if you have to to help you understand some of the passion and some of the focus you need to have. But make it important and make it lively. Make it some of the greatest things you ever wrote because you feel maybe in many ways it's the greatest thing that happened to you. The girl said she loves you after ignoring you for like, I don't know, a year. You you have the birth of of a child when you you didn't know you ever could become a parent. Regardless of whether you're married or not, it's still an incredible event. If you never experienced it right there in the room, you know, you'll, you'll never understand what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you're in the lobby, you're giving out cigars to everybody, and okay, my wife did good, and we go play some golf later. I don't know talking about that kind of crap. I mean, being right there. hmm Watching her get cut open. Watching things come out all over the place. They don't want to show on TV. But in real life, it's rough, but it's also beautiful because this is when new life is coming, and you're like, I helped create that. And then after 10 minutes, you're holding the baby. You're like, oh, my God, I don't know what the hell to do next. It's a lot of learning, it's Not a, a lot of books out there for it, really. But guess what? You catch on quick. When you're trying to be honest with yourself, you become better at being honest with that. That thing you just brought into the world, you know, that 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 beautiful bundle, you are like, wow, I got to be honest with this thing. I got to be honest with myself. It helps you. So find those things that you might want to write about in the positive light, especially if you think it brings some balance to some of the other stuff you you're writing. And find something that's that's useful and, and unique in there, not only in yourself, but also in the writing. You could bring that out. It, it would make not only makes a lot of sense to do this, but also just like I've mentioned before about my philosophy, um, I still believe that. When you make a connection inside and when you start defeating some of those things that are holding you back, you know you become that much more powerful of a writer, and you start slowly transforming who you are as a person. Writing, the best writing, can literally help improve the human condition. Whether that's a big global thing or not, I don't know. Okay, but I do know on an individual basis, yes. And maybe that's how the world gets better one person at a time maybe that's how the world gets cleaner one street at a time maybe that's how the world gets peaceful stopping one war at a time maybe we can't look at the wall in such a grand manner because it's so overwhelming maybe we can't look at our own personal problems in the same way oh i got like 10 problems i can't handle it maybe we have to just do one at a time Knocking one off and, and just putting everything into that one thing until we can get that under control. Whether it's that whether that's quitting smoking because it's expensive and not healthy, and maybe it turns off the people who you know might love you. I love that guy, but damn, I wish he'd stop smoking. You know that sort of thing, or maybe it's just eating bad and and, and what that does to your health over the course of your life. You know, it's real easy when you're twenty five and say ah. It's just a damn hamburger. What the hell? You know, when you're 55, it's not just a hamburger anymore. That could be like tomorrow's heart attack, okay? I'm not even trying to make a joke. It's, it's true. You don't know what you've built in the, in your arteries. You don't know what you've done over a lifetime. And if you've done too much of it, you know, it's, it's time to stop. So this is the things I'm talking about. Some of those changes, they affect your brain. They affect your mood. They affect your spirit. And all of those things, they affect how you approach writing. And they affect the quality of writing that you're putting out there. You can't teach me anything if you're not figuring out what you're about in the first place. That's why I get sometimes this writing that it just falls flat. Because it's by the numbers, you know like, like one of those painting sets from the art from the art, you know, explore, you know. Yeah, I'm on I'm on number 38 right now. It says use a combination of brown and gold. I'm sure commercially they call that art because it's trying to sell something to you. But is it art? No, it's not. Because art doesn't have that kind of a formula. Art isn't that damn predictable. You can't allow that to happen. It has to be something new that you discover. It has to be something you're planning on I'm going to bring this to the table, boom, and let's go do this and keep working on it. That's how you make good to be just as powerful as bad out there. That's how you make your, your writing, uh, giving it a sense of, of equality and, and, and parody and equal passion. Because guess what? That means that you have equal commitment. That good is just not some lame thing that you just don't really believe in. Because when you say that, it means that you believe in the bad thing. You believe the bad is going to win. You believe the bad is stronger. You believe the bully inside of you, it's always going to be in charge. Uh, Now, only if you let it. So stop letting it, okay? Start taking control of your life. And then it's going to help you start taking control of your writing. Once you do that, well, there goes your acceptance rates. They start increasing. There goes your confidence. That starts increasing. There goes the balance that's necessary for you to look at things and say, do I want to go about that in a, in, a, in a good tone on that one, or do I just want to go a little darker on that one because I think maybe there's a lesson there. You can now decide that because now you have enough tools to make sense. You can't. You're just not going to the construction site, yo, Jim. I need you to to lay down this beam. And you just tell the guy, listen, man, I only like good on, on hammering the nails and, and maybe using some, like, glue and stuff, but um, I'm not really calling that whole balance into the beam yet, okay? I'm, I'm not there yet, you know? You need to be, ultimately, as a writer, somebody that can try to tackle many different issues over the course of time, over the course of your life, and be able to do it successfully, be able to do it, if not flawlessly, at least in a way that's convincing to all of us who has to read it. Like the guy walking over to the construction site. He needs to understand how to do maybe 15 or 20 different tasks that he could be asked to do, and he needs to be able to do it well enough to stay on that job, well enough to make that project a success. He can't go over there and say, I know you hired me for 17 things, but in truth, I only could do like three of them. I don't know, maybe you get a a generous, decent supervisor that says, okay, man, I'll let you do those three every day. I want you to try and learn something else new. So maybe in a couple months, you could be completely well-rounded. I don't know if they have people like that in the world anymore. And I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm just saying that we often in a world that's so quick to judge and so quick to be impatient and so quick to say, you need to know everything right now, that sometimes people don't give you that kind of time. So... In many ways, you can't come to the table until you're prepared. You can't go to the work site until you know everything you need to know. Because sometimes it's not going to give you that chance. Whether you want to call that fair or not, whether you want to call that right or not, hell, if you want to call that compassionate or not, you, you could be right on all of that. But nevertheless, that is life. And it's one of the reasons why it's not always fair. Because people don't always look at it that way. You know, I need to be a loving person now, not just, you know, when I get home. Some people are like that. You'd be surprised at how people off of work are entirely different human beings at work. At work, they seem like they're practically ruthless and heartless and maybe even sometimes brainless. And then you see these people in the social setting and you're like, is that the same damn person? Holy crap, I like that person. Who the hell is that other person at the job? People do this all the time. And they, they tell me too, well, Mark, I have to be something different at work versus, I'm like, maybe you think you have to, but it's always a philosophy that I deeply disagree with. I don't understand why I'm supposed to be different in my personal life as I am as my writing life or, if my, or my work life. How I don't have the same values? Hmm? Hey, uh, listen. I'm gonna hit you with a value over here, and then later on, I'm we'll gonna go back and do some different value over there. Really? That doesn't. To me, that doesn't sound like any kind of consistency. It doesn't even sound like a whole person. It just sounds like acting. It sounds like Hollywood. What the hell is that supposed to be useful? And you wonder why there's so much dishonesty out there and so much fakeness. And unfortunately, some of that's creeped into the into the art, into the writing world. I've had people literally give me a disclaimer on a poem. You know, Mark, I'm not normally thinking this way or or acting this way. It's just for the poem's sake. It's some crap about abusing an animal or some weird sexual thing. You know, I had some psycho, um, literally a psycho, uh, that I I had to ban from the magazine because he's literally sending me poems about him having sexual fantasies about children and even drawing stuff that seems to be having sex with them. Oh, it's just, you know, me being edgy. Yeah, okay. You might want to call that edgy, but um, lots of other people call that something else. Something illegal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, why do people have to be different? Why you got to be different in a good or in a bad setting? Why do you have to be different in a work or a writing setting or, or a personal life in and in a work setting? Too many people do that? I distrust that philosophy. I don't like that practice at all. And I really don't like to be around people that like that, especially if I know one or the other, because it's like, not only it's confusing, it, it, it to me, it brings up questions. I'm hanging with somebody, let's say, and I have to say to myself, well, who is the real person? Hmm? Oh, they have more than one personality? Okay, sure. I'm not making fun of anybody, but I think that ultimately if we have a set of values or things that we actually believe in, it's going to be consistently across the board wherever we go. And I think that's one of the problems that we have in the world, in the culture of, of even where I'm from, America, that it, it it winds up translating to writing. And you can see all these, what I, what I call, uh, you know, sort of like the schizophrenic reactions, you know. This is looking good over here. This doesn't do over there. It's because we don't seem to have much commitment to these things. It's like we're situational in everything. But there's a point where you can't do that. I don't want to be that kind of person. And thankfully, I haven't been that kind of person. It doesn't win me billions of friends. Okay, fine. But in the end, my son can visit me at work. Maybe even observe me and always notice like they've noticed before. Dad, that's kind of the sort of the thing that you talked to about with me, or how you I'm like, yeah, because that's who I am. I don't know why I'm supposed to be different here and different at home. I'm not sure why I'm supposed to have the same values as the editor the writer and and these things don't make any difference anywhere else. It makes no sense. I think that kind of bad view of the world hurts our writing, and I really think it, it, in many instances, you know, it damages, you know, the art that we're trying to produce out there. I find the best people; they tend to be consistent across the board. I'm not telling you now that consistency in itself is some wonderful, noble, you know, thing, because in art sometimes we have to be inconsistent on certain things in order to get certain things done. I got that, and that's not a problem. I, I live with that, and I understand that, and I even endorse that, okay? But some of the core values you are as a person and as a human being, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, Mark, I got to be, like, really, like, deceptive and really super political in my office. But, um, you know, normally after that, I, I just come home, and, I, and I, I love Jesus, and I talk good things about the people in the, in the world. You do not see how those things are incompatible? Because they happen in the same day. Literally the same day. The same 24-hour period. Yeah, I like cheating. Steal uh, from 8 to 5. And then when I go home, you know, I I say I love God. And I'm trying to do the right thing. And I love my children. And blah, 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 blah. I'm not even talking about the difference of behavior across of course, years. I'm talking about across hours. So that would be, to me, an alarming type of thing. And I know too many people that do that. And I tell you right now, if you're one of those people, you might want to re-examine that. I'm not saying you can change overnight, but I'm saying you should start considering about changing that because it doesn't help you. it doesn't help your writing. It gives you more stress and more depression than you actually need to have because you're creating it by living that kind of I feel like schizophrenic kind of life, and also it really doesn't help you as a human being. How do you find happiness? When you gotta try to remember who the hell you are later on. Oh, honey, I love you. I gotta go home. I, uh, I gotta go back to work right now and, and go back into my hate mode. I mean, what does that do to a people? What does that do to a culture? What does that do to a person? Unfortunately, here in America, we do too much of that. Not to say this is not happening across the world, okay? But what I'm telling you right now is, I know it happens here because this is where I live at. But I've lived in plenty of other cultures that have some similar things to that. I mean, a perfect example would be Japan. I lived there for a while. I saw that in such an extreme way, the culture actually permits it and actually encourages it. Yeah, it's okay to be fake to to foreigners we meet. That's actually a, a form of being polite. Yeah, thanks a lot for being dishonest and thinking that's polite. But this is where their cultural norms are. I'm not trying to make fun of the culture, but I certainly don't agree with it. It make any sense to me. Can you just tell me the straight truth? No? Okay. Thank you, guys. That really helps me out a lot. <laughs> you know? I lived in Germany. Uh, they have a different kind of philosophy, more one of uh, being more close-knit. I-, I remember living in the same neighborhood for a couple of years. They knew who I was. I walked through there, drive through there, do a lot of stuff through there. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm gone for periods of time working in the Air Force and all of that, traveling and things. It literally took years before people would even return my my good oven, which is uh, good evening in German. Would so they even return it, where it's standard it to return it to anybody else to say that. As an American, they just shut up and keep walking. Years later, as I'm there, suddenly they started to do. That's how long it took for them to warm up to me. Oh, this guy's not a jerk. Yeah, I appreciate you learning that two and a half years later. But at this point, I don't know if I care anymore. you just, you're a damn jerk now. Because I'm here helping to defend you. I'm not here for, you know, my own enjoyment. But that's how folks can be. So sometimes these cultural things that we have to face or we have to live with, you know, they don't really help uh, the human condition either. So when we say that people can be complex, oh, yeah, that's true. But it doesn't mean that people can't re-examine some of those things they get from their religion or they get from their culture. or Maybe they even get from their own individuality that they might not like, that they can't figure out the ways to change. Yeah, that there are ways to do things. And they will help us to become better writers. And as we become better writers, and just the act of writing alone, help us explore more. Remember, writing, even when you formally don't want to call it that, even when you formally haven't planned to do that, can still be a version of therapy and therefore something that can help us discover things about ourselves, even things that we don't like. Instead of of denying them, instead of shying away from them, instead of throwing them in some damn closet someplace, we need to start learning to look at them and figure out what we can do. To either improve them, fix them, maybe sometimes even make them vanish or at least to live with them. If you ever watched uh the and uh, you've ever read the book and then watched the the movie Beautiful Mind, that's ultimately what that person did who had to deal with all those psychological problems and and that real breakdown that he had psychologically. That's what he did. He didn't go around telling everybody, um, yeah, I'm a brilliant mathematician and I, I got the Nobel Prize Prize and and uh, you know, so um There's nothing wrong with me because I can do all those things, you know, versus the truth that he told and the truth that he allowed come out. Yeah, I got mental illness. Yeah, I can't really figure out how to make those things go away. So what I figured out is how to live with those things by acknowledging they're there and then going about my life. Not denying them, just not allowing them to be the focal point. Not denying them just not allow them to have control. That's what that person figured out how to do things. So they had mental illness to the day they died, but they figured out ways to peacefully live with it so they can still be productive in other areas of their lives, in the relationship with their children, with their coworkers, with the great mathematician things they were doing. Beautiful lessons from the movie, but also uh, another possible solution for people. You know, sometimes our goals might not be realistic because sometimes things can't be done on an individual basis. Yeah, I don't know too many people that can cure their depression, whether it be a drug or therapy or writing or whatever. Okay? I don't really know too many people that happens to, but I know plenty of people that they have figured out in their own way how to keep it under control, how to curtail it how to contain it how to acknowledge it but still not let it have a say in their lives in any kind of great capacity and that was their realistic solution that was their way to go about forward in their life that was how they stepped forward so there are other goals and that's why we have to be realistic about things their other goals were of wow it's not going away so therefore everything i'm doing is not working and and I'm going to get more sad and more depressed and more angry versus having a goal that makes sense. So all the things that I'm telling you here on the show is not really to find everything about yourself, eliminate it tomorrow, and then be this greater person. It's about a self-discovery, then that journey to find things that you can fix to become a better person and a better writer. It can be done whether the course of time was a month or, or or 16,000 years i don't know we're doing this quite some time and i still got things i need to work on that i still working on and maybe i work on them until the day i die but i can tell you one thing i don't have to take any drugs and i only have to go to any kind of counseling Whenever it becomes necessary on, like, a, a VA basis, uh, I'll tell myself to that if it comes to that. It, it's happened before. Maybe it'll happen again. But the writing and the things that I've learned and the things that I've acknowledged, well, they made me better. And they made me a better writer and made me more prolific and definitely made me somebody that's more sensitive to what other people are going through. And that's why I try to add that element into the show as much as possible. I, I was laughing with somebody one time on, on one of those mailbag sessions, which we're going to have again soon, that um, I don't want to repeat an episode and just do another depression episode if I can't bring anything new to it. But ironically, I don't know, over over 130 episodes, I probably mentioned that subject 20 times at least. So even though I had one full episode on depression, I still mentioned it in certain elements. I still kind of slip it in there because I know a lot of people deal with it. Not just artists and writers. Lots of people do it, and all kinds of. I mean, I, as a level of people who have depression, as cops or even firefighters, is pretty damn astounding. I'm wow. surprised there's not more suicides than that. And thankfully, they they avail themselves of the therapy and things that are out there, including some people who do writing. Great, happy about that. But um, it's a real segment of of our community, and I see and hear so much of it on a regular basis even sometimes by accident somewhere will bring it up, that I know it's there, that I know it can be an issue, that I know that sometimes people are, are, are dealing with that and they're dealing with that silently, which is never a good thing. I don't believe that you need to scream out to the world, you know, my name is Jim Bob, and, uh, you know, I'm hearing things now and then, and I don't really like that, and I don't want you to think I'm some kind of strange person, so I'm just going to keep that to myself. How you tackle that, well, there's so many different ways. But the one way you don't tackle it is you keep it to yourself. you got to find someone you can trust. you got to find something you can do to help put that, not to rest, to help you redirect you so you can get onto the reality that is out there and the people that do like and love you and want to work with you. So let's try to keep that in mind on all the things that we're talking about on the show about grounding and, and gravity and, and writing. Okay? Don't allow the dark stuff to be just so strong that anything else you write that's on the lighter side, it fails in comparison. Look at that carefully. Go back to some of your other writings and you see that. Figure out ways maybe you you can kind of, like, adjust that. Find out what you're feeling about that. Maybe you feel something different, or maybe you can improve on that. I'm not saying... No, am I implying on this show you're supposed to not ever do that again. Just write dark, dreary stuff until you die. I'm not wanting anyone to do that. you got to have some balance. You really do in your life and in your writing. But you got to bring the same commitment to it. You can't just be, you know, I'm just going to relax on this one and then the other one I'll go deep on. No. Go deep on everything. There's nothing wrong with that. You'll get the best results that way. I honestly think you will improve yourself in your writing and you're going to get more people who are going to want to be able to bring your stuff on board versus, uh, you know, I, um, as a publisher, I do some eBooks for, uh, you know, some, some folks, you know, in my, uh, my small company, I, I had somebody that proposed a project where they wanted to talk about, you know, uh, the nature of beauty and all the different aspects of beauty. And, uh, and the first thing that came to my mind as somebody that knows that, this could go bad really fast was okay. I just hope to God that's not going to be one of those, you know, I'm going to fall asleep type things because uh, I'm now reading an entire book of that. not just a couple of poems, you know? And of course I was uh, amazed and and, and shocked and, and totally surprised that the person took it seriously, brought, you know, their A game to the table and made beauty a relevant subject again. Maybe it's something that we can take seriously and that we can look at and go, yeah, that's right. And I wish more people would do that in in all the things they do in writing because that's a perfect example of that. Okay, That book is uh, Beauty uh, Beyond the Looking Glass. It's over in Soma Publishing uh, by a a wonderful writer by the name of Lynn Long. Every poem in there is about beauty. Every poem is different than the other poem. It mentions beauty a lot and all the different aspects of beauty. And there's not a word in there that's boring or corny or full of hallmarkiness or lifetime channel stuff or cute Chinese, you know, fortune cookie phrases. And None of that garbage is in there, okay? All that stuff that ruins what should be good and powerful. There's things in there of passion, there's things in there of love, there's things in there of strong observation, there's things in there that makes you feel bad about, damn, I should be considering beauty more often rather than being a damn jerk. I've read the book sometimes that said, wow, I'm a jerk on some of these things. I need to get better myself. That's what good writing is. when It can make you say, you know, I'm a jerk, but uh, I don't want to be a jerk anymore. I don't want to read this stuff and feel like a jerk. I want to read the stuff and say, hell yeah, I know what this person is talking about because I experienced that, you know? And I'm not making a metaphor here, but I literally had a rose bush and I never even spent any time really looking at it or even just going over there and smelling it. I know all those corny phrases about don't forget to take a smell of rose of rose bush and smell of this flowers and all that, whatever. But as corny as those cliches are, Sometimes they have a real grain of truth in mean, them, and in that particular case, I never spent any time in that. Until one day, I just walked the hell over there because I didn't like the way it was looking. I didn't. I think maybe it could have been improved on it in terms of, uh, you know, it looked like it was dying a little bit here, a little bit dying there, over there, and then I just took a whiff of it and go, "Wow, that smells great!" Wow, look how pretty that rose is. Now I, I wasn't standoffish because you know, I believe in some kind of macho philosophy or something, or if I smell a rose, I'm going to suddenly become feminine. I just never took account of it. That's the only honest way to put it to you. I mean, I probably sound more of a jerk than if I told you I had a macho philosophy, but that's the God's honest truth. I never took account of it. I tell somebody, "Hey, yeah, I got a rose bush over there, and it's going pretty damn good, and blah, blah, blah. And then go about to something else. That was it. I mean, I, I did my best to take care of it. I was happy to have it. I was actually proud to have it. But I didn't spend any time with it. It was almost like being a bad parent, you know? They talk about their kids, but they don't spend any time with them. And Then they wonder why the kids grow up and don't want to be with them. It's like one of those those bad damn songs they put out there from the 70s, where in the end you feel horrible because you're you're a crappy parent, and now they want to stay away from you because... You did nothing to help them. So they don't even know you anymore. You're a stranger, but you know, you're the father. That's why I made sure that it didn't happen to me as a father. I made sure that I did all I can do because I don't want that to happen to me because that's not a failure that to me would be an option. But for the longest time, I was a failure to that damn plant. If it was alive or, you know, in a way that it was thinking, it'd probably say, that guy I was a jerk. He keeps walking by, throws some water on me, some plant food down then. And then I don't see him for who knows how long. Talks about how great I am, but he don't come over here and check me out. That's probably the perspective of the Rose Bush, saying I'm a big jerk. And for a long time I wasn't. But once I did that, it's like something opened up in my in my brain or my inner eye or whatever you want to call it. And now I make it a habit to go smell it, see how it's doing. Check it out. Try to keep the dog from peeing on it. Get the hell out of here. Don't pee on my rose bush, you you weirdo. Things like that, where before I didn't even care. Yeah, whatever, it's just a plant. So, I mean, those are the kind of changes that we have to look at. I know it sounds kind of weird what I'm telling you right now, and it probably sounds like just really dorky. This guy's talking about a damn rose bush. What kind of weirdo is he? Well, maybe I am a bit of a weirdo. I'm doing a show like this about literary things that... Sometimes people as writers don't even think about, but that's the whole point of it. Try to make us think about more things that we don't think about before. Then we're not going to get on other shows. There aren't a lot of them out there. And the ones that are, they just sort of focus on a book or two of things, talk about a couple of things and wrap it up. So <laughs> that's not really much of a literary show in my opinion. I think we should be doing more than that. And that's what I try to do on this show. But I like those stories to help people because it kind of illustrates some of the things I'm talking about on the show. And, of course, it also demonstrates that I, I really do the very best I can to practice on the things that I do preach. And that, that happened to me. I, I felt like, kind of felt crappy about that for the longest time. Even after I felt better about doing it with the rosebush, I'm like, man, what the hell was I missing? Well, I was probably missing a lot. not really taking account of things. So it's those things we have to do. Sometimes it makes us better as people, as writers, as husbands, as fathers, as it's just basic relatives, you know, if we just try to pay attention to more of the things rather than take them, you know, for granted. Too many writers that I know and that I see, they often take their talent for granted. They have no problem and no compunction to send in something that's a first or a second draft. And I know that the talented because I can even tell through that, But I also can tell that this is not polished enough. This is not ready to go. But they just take everything for granted. You know, I got a thousand like, you know, credits. So, you know, I don't need to mention anything. And, you know, you should be okay with this. You know, uh, it's, it's all right. Really? Do we really want to write all right? Do we really want to publish all right? Do you want to read or write? When you only have so much time in your day or in your life, things could be complicated at that moment. And If you take a breather to do something, do you want to read or write? Or do you want to read something that says this person is connecting at least with him or herself, if not with me? I feel the genuineness of it all. I feel the authenticity. I feel that What they're doing is working. That's what writing is supposed to be doing. That's what you're supposed to be doing as a writer. So, folks, please keep that deeply in mind about grounding and the gravity in writing. We want to stay grounded. We want to bring gravity to all that we do, even if it's entertaining. you got to have a little bit of edge. you got to have a little bit of everything in it. For it to, to reach people. You have so many different mediums out there you're competing against, whether you like it or not, whether you believe what I'm saying is true or not. You are, in a way. Should I read Jimbo's poem that I'm not too sure about, or should I watch his crappy uh, horror movie on, on Netflix for the 48,000th time? And then they picked that. They said it's something that should be new and interesting. So, in a way... Whether it's fair or not or whether we' like it or not we are we are competing with the crappy horror movie or 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 the dopey song that somebody put together in some studio you know or 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 the novel for the upteenth time about the spy who questions his his sexuality but he has to serve his country God, how many times are we gonna see that but you're quite- you're you're actually competing against that so Try to keep that in the back of your mind as well. You know, every little thing you bring extra to the table, every little thing you bring that's more honest to that table, everything you bring that's going to be in that, you know, makes that much more of a difference out there when people read it. Because they know more now than ever before what rings true and what doesn't. I don't even care if people talk about things that you don't even agree with on a philosophical or political level. They still know what rings true and what not, even if they want to deny it. They still know in the privacy of their own heart. That's where they're reading your stuff at. That's where your battleground is. And ultimately, that's where your victory is going to be at. In your heart and in theirs. Until next time, folks, God bless. This is Mark Antonowasi's Strength to be Human, Grounding in the Gravity in Writing, Episode 133. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing. www.somapublishing.com.